Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Seasonality is the phenomena where during certain times of the year, markets behave almost predictably. It's rooted in the idea that investors and businesses and economic cycles have regular patterns. These patterns aren't quite as regular as the phases of the moon. They don't always work. But combined with other factors, they can take on a life of their own. I'm Barry Ritholtz, and on today's edition of At The Money, we're going to discuss what you need to know about market seasonality. To help us unpack all of this and what it means for your portfolio, let's bring in Jeff Hirsch, editor-in-chief of the Stock Traders Almanac, who's been studying seasonality just about his whole life. Jeff, welcome. Hey, Barry. Great to be with you. So let's talk a little bit about this. I, I mentioned certain things happen every year. Mm -hmm. People raise money to pay taxes. They pay taxes certain times of year. They make regular uh, contributions. What does the data you study say about seasonality? It says that people are creatures of habit, and it's a behavioral finance uh, uh, at, at its core where people are doing the same things over and over on a regular basis. You mentioned in the intro the 401k contributions. One of the things that I learned early on when I started working for my father um, was about that, that mid-month spike. So he had promoted a pattern for years, the best five days of the year, the monthly five-day bulge, which was the last trading day of the month and the first four of the new month, which is when people pay their bills and make all their transactions on a monthly basis. And then, and I used to do those numbers by hand, using the Barron's Market Lab pages and you know underlining stuff and using an anti-machine and all that by hand work, which was, which was educational. But there we are looking at the pattern. We see it change. There's a spike mid-month. And we're looking at each other, we're talking about it, and we realized that that was this new pattern of people with the, the payroll deductions going into the market, and fund managers have to be long, so there is this spike where cash is coming into the market during the middle of the month, and you have that sort of super eight days of the month now, where you have the middle three and the last two and first three that become that seasonal pattern. So my, my partner, Josh Brown, calls that the relentless bid. <laughs> um, your dad, Yale Hirsch, founded Stock Traders Almanac, gee, is it? 60 years ago? How long ago was it that? It was uh, 1966, the wow. year of my birth. <laughs> wow, that, that's absolutely amazing. So I was amazing. born, bred, weaned, raised on all these patterns. So so one of the things that he has discussed and, and you've written about mm -hmm. continuously is, hey, it's not just the calendar. You have to look at things like technicals, yep. fundamentals, sentiment, fund flows, monetary, etc. How do you sort of take all these different factors and combine them with seasonality? Well, I mean, right now in 2023, seasonality, the four-year cycle, the president cycle are firing on all pistons. It's, it's, it's almost too easy. It's not always going to be that way. But we are always combining fundamentals, macroeconomics, monetary 
policy and technicals with sentiment, and you're looking at it. And it depends upon, like any fund manager or any trader, which factors are leading and driving the market at any given time. And we're always looking for for things that are um, you know outliers and things that people aren't thinking about. Contrary thinking is 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 part of it, but at our core, it's always about cycles. People are creatures of habit. You know, they do things uh, on a regular basis every day. I mean, people get up the same time, they have lunch the same time, they go to bed the same time, the market closes at the same time, it opens at the same time, and you see these patterns continually persist. So that's sort of our bias, but we look at you know technical setups, uh, and and one of the key things is you know if. The market or the stock or the sector is tracking that pattern closely. Then you know gains beget gains or losses beget losses. And if it's if it's diverting, that's when we might not take advantage of a seasonal pattern because it, it hasn't come in setting up correctly or, or tracking the pattern closely. So so we're recording this a few weeks before Christmas. Let's talk about some of my favorite seasonal patterns that you write about in Stock Traders Almanac. Mm-hmm. Santa Claus rally. What's happening with that? Everybody gets it wrong year in, year out. Yale, my father, created this, devised this this indicator back in 1972. It came out in the 73 Almanac. It is this tendency for the S&P 500 to gain 1.3, 1.5%, not a huge number, over the last five trading days of the year and the first two of the new year. It's not the rally, the year-end rally, the fourth quarter rally from Halloween to January that everyone likes to... Use that that for for their the best buzz. few months of the year. It's not the best few months of the year. It is this indicator. And as Yale, everyone forgets who created the. You know, he was a songwriter, Barry. He <laughs> he could coin a phrase. My father. Um, it the line is if Santa Claus should fail to call, bears may come to Broadburn Wall. And what that means is that during that last week of the year, when you know you might be away, I might be doing some family things, and the the pros are on this, you know, on their desk buying up bargain stocks that were sold for tax loss selling. If they're not doing that, and the market doesn't rally during that time, it's a, a, an indication that things are, are amiss. So let's talk about the January effect. What, what does that mean? Well, the January effect, not to be confused with the January barometer, the January effect is a tendency for small caps to outperform large caps in January. And as we show in the Almanac, most of that January effect is really the... The December effect now. It takes they place. dumped those stocks in December, and now they're buying them back. And in we're right as we're speaking here, we're coming into that mid-December period where small caps start to take off versus large caps. We've seen the Russell 2000 already begin to to perk up as it does around the end of October. But the the January barometer, which is the other seasonal indicator, is as January goes, so goes the year. Another Yale invention in at the same time in '72, and. You know, we've seen January take uh, take it on the chin a bit in recent years. I saw a really interesting analysis of the January barometer that said it's not limited to January. It's re- essentially a momentum measure. Any strong month usually leads to another strong month. Um, there is the gains beginning gains. We've we've compared all the monthly barometers. Uh, of every single you like month, January the best. Not just like it, but you know, we've looked at it from the, the the subsequent eleven months, the subsequent twelve months, and the whole year. And the thing that happens in January is that it's the beginning of the year. It sets like, the tone. It sets the tone. You've got, and the reason why the January barometer works is that is the nineteen thirty three lame duck amendment to Congress. When they passed this, uh, newly elected senators and, and Congress people were would take office thirteen months later, right uh, after they were elected. Hence, lame ducks. Um, and then, and and presidents were also inaugurated in March. There was a whole period where you know now it's January. Yeah, right? Winter was tough back in uh, you know the colonial times right. to get to D.C. So um, it moved 
Inauguration of January 20th. New Congress is convening to the first week of January. And everybody, including, you know, present company here, makes forecasts, outlooks, sets agendas and precedents. You have states of the union, uh, state of the union addresses um, and a lot of forecasts. So it tends to be an optimistic time of year. It tends to be optimistic, but also it's the time where people are looking to the future. So you mentioned um, uh, Congress and and presidents. Let's talk about the presidential election cycle. I know you've been writing about this for as long as I know you. We're in the third year of a president's term. That is your favorite year. It is the most bullish year. But I want to I want to just finish one thing on January, if I can. There's a, a new a new wrinkle we've added to it since January has has had some trouble recently with a lot of profit taking. We've taken the old first five days of the year, which the early warning system, but it's also in the Almanac, plus the Santa Claus rally, plus the full month January barometer, created something called the January indicator trifecta. Since 1950, when the three are up, the Santa Claus rally, first five days in a full month, the S&P has been up 90.3% of the time, 28 to 31 years for an average gain of 17.5%. That's pretty, pretty big. Pretty good numbers. How did the numbers look last year? After we made those lows in October of 22, did you have we, the trifecta? We hit the trifecta in 23. Guess what? 22? No did trifecta. Not. In a midterm year, which segues back to your question about the four-year cycle, which, you know, you, you talked about things happening on a regular basis. There's only one country in the world that, re, that elects its leader on the same day every four years. That's right. the United States. Everyone's got these parliamentary right. votes. Right. Call for an election. Yeah, it's a week later and they're done. So, which, by the way... In America, that doesn't sound too bad. Get it, it over in a week. <laughs> well, we can get into <laughs> politics and ideology, but the, the, the cycle here is, you know, the, the pre-election year is the best year of the four-year cycle, up about 16.8% in the S&P since 1950. We see the midterm lows that move from the midterm low like we had last year. Worked really well. Yeah. I mean, average gains about 48% for the um, Dow from the midterm low to the pre-election year high, and it's about 68% for NASDAQ. And what I've seen and what I show when I, when I, when I present to people is that, uh, amazingly, you know, there's a good cluster of lows in the oct midterm Octobers. We know that October is a bear killer and another one of Yale's phrases. But a lot of the highs, the, the, the yearly highs occur in December and a and good chunk of them on the last trading day of the pre-election year. Now, how much of that is just window dressing and how much of that is just people have cash that they have to allocate in the calendar year and they're just putting it to work? I think it's a lot of both of those. Yeah. I mean, window dressing happens every year. Window dressing in September is what creates the negative period. In what, September, the, 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 the fiscal year that ends September 30th. And also the October 31st mutual fund deadline by the IRS where you got to file, you got to reconcile your accounting for the 10 months and the 12 months. and you know. So, so let's talk about what I know as your all-time favorite um, seasonality factor. Sell in May and then go away. I always say you got to buy in October to get your portfolio sober. So, uh, again, this was something that, you know, David Aronson is a technical uh, technician through the CMT organization as well as, as uh, Baruch College. He did a book in 08, which was our best investment book of the year, called uh, Evidence-Based Technical Analysis. Oh, sure. I remember that. <clears throat> so what he did was he took 6,000 plus, about 6,200 different black box systems and put them through the scientific method, which I had to learn what that is, that testing the, the null hypothesis. Taking it, taking it out of sample, running it against other issues, not just cherry picking the best assortment of dates. Right. And, and seeing if any of these systems had predictive power or were just the result of chance. So when we picked that book, we said, 
David, can you take the best six months and do the same thing? So he took it from Yale invented that strategy, the best six months switching strategy, and it was in 1986 in the 87 Almanac. So he took it from 87 forward. So that there, he didn't have any of the back test bias in right. there. And he found that unlike any of the other 6,000 plus different black box systems, the best six month switching strategy had predictive power and the results were not the result of chance. So it is one of the main overlays we have uh, in our you know newsletter and, and, and portfolio construction that we do. So rationalize this. What is it about May, June, July, August, September that seems to be so meh? Well... <laughs> I mean, I mentioned the the October thirty first mutual fund, fund deadline, which creates that sort of low period. But you have the you know most of the human race, most of human beings live in the northern hemisphere, right? Most mm -hmm. of the land mass is up there. So we have you know this period of time where you know there's a lot of light from May through September, right. and we do a lot of other things. I've seen you go on fishing trips. I play a lot of <laughs> golf. My kids go to camp. People go on vacation. Okay, and you know you remember everyone's distracted elsewhere. Everyone's distracted, and you know when you have lower volume, stocks tend to go down. Um, especially you know after you've come into the the Q4 and Q1 with all that extra money and all that extra buying. So it's a it's a not a vicious cycle, but it's a regular cycle of the flow of cash and money in and out of the market. And people try to debunk the best six months by going back to 1896 when the Dow started, and you know it didn't work back then, but. Back People then. really didn't go on summer vacation. There weren't a lot of sleepaway camps back then. No. And, you know, it was a farming, agrarian right. society where- That was work time. Where money, it was pretty much buying me in the first half of the last century, the 20th century, where money would come into the agriculture. They'd be buying a fuel, seed, you know, fertilizer, equipment, and they also were borrowing money. And right. then when the, the loans came due at harvest time is when the market would roll over in September. So, so th this is the inverse of that. So- What's the worst month of the year for stocks? Uh, August or September, depending upon if you go back to 1950 or 87 post crash. So, I mean, and they delivered this year back to back. Uh, that was the low. August, September was the low this year. And uh, and we had an amazing November following that. October was pretty good. November was October was on the fire. turn. October was the turn, which is, I mean, there's a picture from the 69 Almanac, which shows that, you know, October bear killer bargain month, the best time to buy stocks, especially small and tech stocks. What are the best months for the year? Uh, November, December, January are the three best consecutive months. Uh, we've seen, you know, October get better on the turnaround, but basically November, December are the best. January has gotten a little bit weaker with profit taking that seems to happen in the new year these days. Last question. We're coming up on the fourth year of a presidential term. It's an election year in 2024. What does seasonality tell us about presidential election years? Well, I mean, we have a sitting president running for re-election, and our research shows that, you know, as we all know, the market hates uncertainty. So with the same person in office who's running again, whether whatever the polls say is, 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 is one thing, but the fact that the potentiality of the same policies, the same economic, civic, and, you know, uh, market-oriented uh, policies are going to be in play, or at least the same mentality, the power of a sitting president is, is really undeniable. Years when you have a sitting president running for re-election, the Dow is up. Uh, excuse me, the S&P is up 12.6%, 12.8%, excuse me. And when there's an open field, it's minus 1.5%. Huh, that's so interesting. So for us... Um, you think it's bullish having a president run for re-election, even if it's against a prior president? 
There's not a whole lot of uh, data points for 1800s? the hundreds. You got to go back a century and change. <laughs> what, for what's that. it? One. <laughs> Amazing. That's, that's not a pattern. But anyway, we're bullish for 2024. It's important to note that while these seasonal trends have been observed historically, they're certainly not guarantees of future performance. Markets are influenced by a wide array of factors, and past patterns do not always predict future results. Markets may have become more efficient than ever between algorithmic trading and AI. Maybe that could have an impact on seasonal trends. Regardless, investors should be aware of seasonality and what it might mean in combination with all those other factors for their comprehensive investment strategy. I'm Barry Ritholtz. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio's At The Money. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.